Why don't you grab your Bibles and let's go before the Lord and just make this declaration. Say, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth, and I believe it. It is your personal love letter to me, and I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. Now, Father, as we approach your word today, we do so with, great, with, with grateful hearts. We say what David said, that we rejoice at your word like one who has found great treasure. And so we thank you that the words of our mouth today, the meditation of our heart, will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have kind of a simple question for you. If I was to ask you how many in the room want to be successful, how many of you want to be successful? All right. I think we all want to be successful. Now, let me just ask some of you, some of you who are a little more aged in the house, if you look at somebody like me and somebody younger, what is one key to success that you could share with them? What's something you could say, do this if you want to be successful? Just shout some things at me. Work hard. Work hard. Huh? Available to learn. Faithful. Positive. Discipline. Never give up. Obedient. Focus, ready to do it. Good. These are all great examples. You've got a lot to say to the young people. This is awesome. You know, what I want to uh, discuss this morning is that we all want to get to the mountaintop of success. And what we're going to look at today is what actually is the mountaintop of success? Because what the world's selling, is that what success is? Is that what we want to strive for as Christians? See, we all want to stand on the mountaintop of success, but how many of us are willing to go through the valley of preparation? You will not be exalted to the mountaintop of success, and you will not earn the right to come up to the mountaintop of success until you have gone through the valley of preparation. And I want to talk a little bit about this valley this morning, and we're going to use Jesus as our model. Jesus is our example. He is our model for living. He is both fully God and fully man, and so he teaches us how to do it the God way. And we can take a look at the scriptures this morning and see what Jesus did. But there are three areas. There are really two areas that we can identify from the valley to the mountaintop. Before we do that... Um, I just want to say this as we begin today that, you know, whether you're young in here and you're full of zeal, you know, maybe you're just starting out graduating high school or maybe you're, you're just in high school right now and you're, the world is at your fingertips. You can get something from God's word today because we're going to see some things. Maybe you're in this room and you're in the prime of your life right now and things are happening left and right and you're amazed at all that God is unfolding for you. Maybe you're in this room and you're advanced in years and you're aged and you're looking at retirement or you have retired and you're starting to ask yourself that question now, God have I availed myself to you for you to do everything you've wanted to do in me? And I want to tell you that no matter where you are in that spectrum, if you can begin to look at your life as pastor is teaching, not as an age but as an assignment, then you can locate yourself today and you can still, no matter what age you are, get to the mountaintop of success. And so there's two steps I want to identify. Go ahead and bring up that next slide, guys. We're going to take a quick look at this. Okay, so you put it over there. There it is. So we're going to spend some time talking about the valley, 
But the two steps I want to identify before we get to the mountaintop is the climb. And I'm not talking Miley Cyrus, for those of you who know. It's the climb. No. Uh, then there's the crux before you can get to the mountaintop. So we're going to take some time today, and we're going to explore these things. We're going to look at the Scripture and discover what the pathway to success really is. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to open up to the third gospel recorded in the New Testament. It is the gospel of Luke. I want you to go to chapter two, because we're going to look at the life of Jesus. Jesus is our model. Luke chapter two. And in Luke 2, we see that Christ is born of Mary. We see that the heavens are opened and angels descend to proclaim the birth of Jesus. We see the circumcision of Jesus on the seventh day. We see that Jesus is presented in the temple as is custom. And Simeon and Anna are waiting there. And uh, they, they celebrate. But in verse 39, I want you to go to chapter 2, verse 39. And when you're there, just shout at me and say, I got it. So when they had performed all that was according to the law of the Lord, this is Jesus' parents, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth, and the child, who is Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's keep reading. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought among their, their relatives and acquaintances." Man, can you just imagine, like, my wife got misplaced at Disney World, and that's okay, you know, it's Disney. Can you imagine misplacing the Son of God? I'm sorry, God. Uh, <laughs> we kind of lost your son here. You a little bit of a problem here. They have misplaced Jesus. They left him behind. I just, that just blows my mind. This is like the ultimate Home Alone story. Is Jesus with us? Oh, he must be back here. Oh, we must be back here. You know, they don't travel like we do today in a bunch of cars. This is a giant caravan of people, and they're just assuming Jesus is in the company. I mean, isn't that interesting? For those of you uh, who maybe aren't the sharpest knife in the box or the brightest bulb on the tree, and you're saying, God, can you use me? God entrusted God entrusted to a young couple who apparently misplaced the Son of God, and he, he trusted them with the, all, of, all of eternity was hinging on their developing of this child. So if you're, think, if you're thinking you're a little bit too clumsy or foolish for God to use you, be encouraged today because you haven't left the Son of God, you know, in the temple, okay? So you can be used by God. Verse 45, so when they did not find him, everyone say, uh-oh. They returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now he was there three days. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Verse 51, here's the clincher. 
Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. The first thing I want to do this morning is take our case study on Jesus and begin to look at his valley. You know, Jesus, even as the son of God, recognized that he was not going to be able to get to the mountaintop of success until he, as the son of God, had gone through the valley of preparation. And so Jesus' valley can be chronicled from his birth to his baptism, to his temptation. We've taken a look at his birth and his growing up and his bringing up years. And one of the things that I really want to point out here is in verse 51, it says that Jesus was subject to his parents. Jesus was subject to a woman who was his biological mother, but subject to a man who was not his biological father. And one of the points that we have to begin to realize is that if the Son of God can be subject to these humans, then we as young people really need to put ourselves into submission under our parents and acknowledge their place because God operates in and through authority. And so one of the things that we see here is that Jesus is putting into practice what he's going to execute on the mountain. And what you do in the valley will be echoed on the mountaintop. Jesus is preparing the way for him to be faithful to and subject to his father's will because he was faithful to his parents and subject to their will. And so we have got to understand, it is not just about arriving up at that mountaintop. It is about learning the lessons in the process of the valley because we're not going to be able to execute correctly if we haven't learned and practiced in the valley. And so we have got to see this, this, this pivotal thing here. I just think it's so interesting that Jesus was subject to a man who wasn't even his biological father. That is how much he esteemed God's place in his life. How much are we esteeming God's place in our life? Are we willing to put ourselves under people who are being used by God? You see, the valley is very interesting because you're not really going to have an appreciation for the experience of the mountain if you're sitting on the valley and you say, you know what, I really don't feel like climbing the mountain. I know what I'm going to do. We have helicopters. I'm going to take the helicopter up to the mountain. And so you can jump towards success. You could get on the helicopter and say, see y'all later. You guys can go work on that climb, but I'm going to jump to the top of the, uh, I'm going to jump in the helicopter and go up to the top of the mountain. You're not going to appreciate and you're not even going to be able to keep that success if you haven't gone through the process. The scripture teaches us very clearly that wealth gained hastily or an inheritance gained hastily will not be blessed in the end. And so there is a process. We are living in a time now where we believe, many are believing that because we're God's kids, he's just going to drop everything on us. But you know what? It's not just about receiving the king's goods. It's about being responsible enough to execute with what the king has. And I love what Pastor Lafayette has shared with us. He said, God doesn't put unproven merchandise out on his shelf. And you've got to be willing to submit yourself. The valley is the low place. Nobody wants to go down to where it's low. But if, the, if it's good enough for the Son of God, it's good enough for me. And if Jesus was willing to leave his throne in heaven and have such a desire to honor his Father and come down to this earth and humble himself then I need to be willing to humble myself and go through the valley so that I can learn what God wants me to learn. I want to continue taking a look at Jesus' valley. And if you do this with me, turn over to Luke chapter 3. So same, same book. Because Jesus' valley consists of his birth and his upbringing. It also consists of his baptism. So 
Luke chapter 3, verse 21, just a page over. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also to be baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's very interesting because Sometimes we're in the valley and we begin to have these visions and these dreams about what God has prepared us for. And we cannot mistake the anointing for the mountaintop. We cannot mistake that time of anointing for the mountaintop. Here's what I mean. Jesus was anointed, but several days, in fact, 40 days before he began to begin his climb, the Bible says that the very next thing that happened to Jesus after he was baptized and after he was anointed was the Spirit of God drove him out to the wilderness so he could be tested and proven. And we see that here in chapter 4, same book, chapter 4. Then Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Don't mistake that vision that you have and that anointing that God has deposited upon you as the time to execute right now because there's still part of the proving process that God has got to do in you. And he's doing the same thing through his son here, Jesus. He says, then Jesus being filled with the spirit returned from the Jordan. I'm going to add where he was baptized and he was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when it had ended, he was hungry. You know, sometimes we look and we say, okay, there's an anointing here. And so let's just begin to pour everything we've got into there. But really, Jesus did not begin his climb. He's still in the valley. He did not begin his climb until he had really been proven. The anointing had happened. The call had been given. But he's not even beginning to climb up the mountain yet until we get to verse 18. After Jesus comes out of the wilderness, the Bible says that he met every temptation of the enemy the right way, and the angels came and ministered to him. And just after they ministered to him, the very next thing that happens is Jesus goes back to his hometown. He goes to church on the Sabbath day, and this is what happens in verse 18. He finds the... He's handed the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he reads. And this is the transitional phrase for Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is now beginning to transition. He is coming out of the valley and now he is beginning his ascent upon the mountain. It's very important that we take a look and pause here and think about our own life. Where are we in our own journey? Maybe we and others have recognized a call within us. There's an anointing upon us. But have we submitted ourselves to God's process of the valley? Have we allowed him to work in us through the valley? And you know what Jesus did in this temptation? Again, what you practice in the valley, you will do on the mountain. And Jesus made a way for himself to defeat the temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we're going to look at, by defeating the temptation here to submit to the enemy. And so don't think that one day when I get there, I'll be able to do it. No, if you can't do it now, you're not going to do it then. You know, and I always wanted to give more amounts of money. If I don't give in the little things, I'm not going to give more. 
You know, as a young person, one of the lies that I bought was, I'll just do that when I get older. No, what you practice will become your habits. And if you haven't practiced those good habits at the beginning in the valley, you're not going to do them on the mountain. And so what we've got to learn is that what we do in the valley, we will echo on the mountain. And I want to keep going here because Jesus, his climb. So we have already taken a look at Jesus's valley. It is his birth. It is his baptism. It is his temptation. And then now Jesus begins his public ministry. He is beginning to climb now. He's beginning to get towards the purpose for which he came to this earth. And he is pouring out everything that he has. He's preaching the good news. He's healing everyone who's sick and, and uh, infirmed and demon-possessed. He's setting the captives free. He's doing exactly what the Father called him to do. And then we get to this place called the crux. And the crux is the defining moment. And each and every one of us, as we're transitioning from the valley, as we're walking up and climbing up the mountains, we're going to reach this place called the crux, and it's the defining moment. Let me tell you a little story. Several years ago when I was a kid, uh, my uncle who was my uncle at the time, who was a Green Beret, decided he wanted to take all the boys in the family on this hike up Mount Washington. Now, I am sort of, anyone ever seen City Slickers? Okay, you, you take this kid, you know, we didn't grow up mountain climbing and hiking, so you take these, these kids from like the city, and you're going to bring them up a mountain. It's like in order to prepare, we went to Walmart and bought all the gear. You know, you think you're going to need this, and you think you just, you come up fully dressed, and you have no idea what you're about to head into. So my uncle decides he's going to take us all up the mountain. Man, by the time we got back, they were just glad that I survived, because I was that kid that was like falling down the creeks, slipping down the waterfalls, I mean, you know, tumbling out of the tent into the fire. I mean, it's just was bad. It was bad. And I, I was never invited to do anything else again with them. But there's something that I learned there as a child uh, going up that mountain. You know, as we were climbing up Mount Washington in New Hampshire, it was really, really cool. I got to learn what it was like to hike. But then we hit this place where it's starting to get really windy. It's getting colder. It's getting harder to press forward. The wind is against us. It's colder. The air is getting thinner. And in fact, now we're beginning to see people come down from the summit and and the way they look is like, I don't know if I want to go up there. I'm not sure I want to continue. I mean, they, they're like, you know, holding on to each other. They've got like these ski poles, and they're just like barely making it down. Something starting to go through my mind as a kid here. I'm thinking, do I really want to do this? That's called the crux. It's that defining moment on the mountain when you're on your climb and you have to decide, I'm either going to press forward or I'm going to turn back. Are you with me? And as you climb, everything might seem to be against you. And it looks like this is not a good idea. Those who climb Mount Everest, when they hit that crux, what they're facing is not just, you know, I want to get to the top, but literally, if I press on, it could mean death. And there's something to be said about that defining moment of being willing to go on in spite of death. And I'm not just talking about physical death. Let's take a look at Jesus before I go on further here, because Jesus is our model. Stay in the same book of Luke and go to chapter 2 as we begin to look at the end of the life of Jesus here, or, or of his earthly life. Luke chapter two, uh, 22, excuse me, verse 39. Again, when you get to verse 39, just shout at me and say, I've got it. Luke 
Luke chapter 22, verse 39, it says, Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony. Listen, was Jesus fully the Son of God? Yes, he was. But we've got to get our religious minds out of something else to realize he is also the Son of Man. And it was not easy. Jesus is just about to wrap up his earthly life. And just, just keep reading here. Jesus is in agony in verse 44. He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. Jesus is in the crux here. He is literally looking at, if I continue up this mountain, I've done everything the Father has called me to do, but now I'm standing at this defining moment, and I'm not sure that I can endure. Some of us might be in that crux right now in our lives. You have gone through the valley. God has proven you. You have climbed, and you are in that crux right now. And I want to encourage you, if you are in that crux, you need to keep going. No matter where you are, you need to keep going. Because just like we're going to see with Jesus, if you can pass that defining moment, you know, you will be able to accomplish all that God has for you in your life. One of the things I want to pause here and talk about, and you'll see it in the case for Christ, but I read through the case for Christ by Lee Strobel. And one of the arguments is, you know, that's foolishness to think that somebody could sweat blood. I want to tell you a little interesting fact here. Medical science has proven, medical science has proven that when the body is in such a state, it is possible for you to sweat blood. And so I just think, man, people are just going to attack the scripture all the time, but even medical science, God is so good. Even medical science can prove. I'm sure there's some things that you need to have faith for, but even medical science proves that this, this thing is possible with Jesus. And I want to show you this too. Uh, actually, I'll just say it. In the book of Mark and Matthew, the scripture tells us that Jesus is turning to his disciples, almost leaning on them saying, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. We've got to get this image in our head that this crux, this defining moment is not easy for Jesus. And if it wasn't easy for Jesus, guess what? It's not going to be easy for us. And so we have got to make that decision that I'm not going to turn back just because it got hard. I'm not going to run from God's plan for my life just because it looks more difficult now than it ever has before. We have to keep going. And that defining moment, if you can prove and allow God to prove you through that, you are going to reach that mountaintop of success. Listen, it is inevitable, inevitable, because if God before you, who can be against you? So you need to keep pressing on. And so we see that Jesus here uh, is having to let go of what he desires. And there is something to be said of when you're at that defining moment, being willing to die, being willing to let go. I want to move from the idea of physical death and just think about dying 
dying to our own ambition. All of us have been raised, many of us rather, have been raised in America, and we have, or people have come here from other countries with the American dream. And you know what? I'm not sure all the time that the American dream is God's dream for each and every one of us. And so we have to be willing to submit our ambition. I'm not saying God doesn't want you to be successful, but sometimes we have added too much of our own ambition to what God is doing, and the crux is the place where God is going to really press that out of us. And so if we can submit to him in that crux, he is going to bring us ultimately to what his success for our lives really is. I remember back in 2003, and you know, I would say that there's various mountains throughout our life. It's not just one mountain that we're climbing. There are various mountains throughout our life. In 2003, the Lord had dramatically changed my life. I was uh, rededicated to the Lord. I had come through a major time of rebellion, and God was so good to me. He just poured out his love. I thought he was going to pour out his wrath, but he just poured out his love, and he began to show me. He began to break my heart down, all the hardness that was there, and he began to show me in very physical and real ways how much he actually loved me. And it was at this time that God began to show me the woman who I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And I was so excited. But in August of 2003, I was at a defining moment in my life. And I had done everything to try to win Jennifer. This girl wanted nothing to do with me. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. You are working your hardest. Okay, there's a few of us here. You are working your hardest, and this girl is like, you are just, I, I am not interested. I mean, I don't know how else to tell you that. Hey, want to go out for a date? Um, no. Uh, literally was the conversation. I was like, wow, this is really hard. And uh, God, I thought you said you're, I'm going to marry her. And so in, in August of 2003, I'm at this defining moment, and I remember this prayer. I said, Lord, you have changed my life. You have won my heart, and if I never get to be with her, at least you have brought me back to you. And when I let go, I am talking days. This girl who wanted nothing to do with me, I let go. I was willing, not just a prayer, not just a flippant like, okay, casual. No, I had to let it go in fear and in trembling, even though I knew God had told me that this is what his plan for me was. I had to let it go. And I'm telling you, within days, within days, and it doesn't always happen this way, but within days, man, I, phone conversation went something like this. Oh, Kurt, don't say that. You're so cute. Did she really just say that? Oh, I love you. What? I was like, holy spirit, man, this is awesome. It was totally God. I tried. I couldn't make it happen, but it was totally him. I mean, he put his spirit of love for me in her. I have no idea how it happened, but I was totally blown away. And you know, I, was, I learned something that day that I've carried with me in every other climb, in every other crux in my life. If I'm willing to let it go, God will make it happen. Is it easy? No. But if I'm willing to let it go, God will bring it about. And so you need to know, you might be holding on to a vision. You might be holding on to a dream that God gave you. You know what? Bring it to the altar and be willing to lay it down. And sometimes it's so big, it takes a while to really lay it down and get it out of your system. But if you can keep doing it, God will work out everything in your life. Let's take a look at Jesus's mountaintop here. I want to bring you over to Matthew 28. See, the world defines success as the fulfillment of your dreams, 
And I don't think that's off, but I think it's a little, I don't know, empty. Because if my life exists solely for the fulfillment of my dreams, then when I'm gone, what did it matter? You see, God's idea and God's truth about success is a little different than the world's. God elevates people to success. The scripture says in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 6, that when you have truly humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you. Oh, well, God doesn't exalt people. He will exalt you. Read your Bible. He will exalt you. But guess what? God's not going to bring just anybody to that place of exaltation. And one of the things that you have to learn in the valley is that exaltation is not for you and it's not for me. God doesn't exalt us because of us. And God doesn't exalt us for us. God does exaltation for one reason and one reason only, for himself and for his people. For himself and for people. God exalts people who have his heart because they're going to care for people because that's what God's heart is all about. Exaltation is not about you and me. The mountaintop of success is not defined by what's in our bank account, not defined by what we drive, not defined by what we live in because the father of our faith, Abraham, lived in a tent because he knew that there was a greater place in heaven for them. So monetary, material, great, but not the definement of success for the Christian's life. So important to realize that is not the success. It's great. And God exalts different people to different places. And God will use people. He will give them all the money in the world if their heart is right because they're going to fund the end times mission. Do you understand what I'm saying? But God's got a specific purpose for each and every one of us. I'm not against money. I'm not against finances. I'm not against cars. Have it, but don't let it have you. And recognize, I'll let anything go if it keeps me from God. Jesus was willing to let everything go. So we come to this place of Jesus' mountaintop in Matthew 28. Jesus has defeated the cross. Jesus has defeated the grave and defeated death, and he has risen. And here in verse 20, uh, chapter 28, he is risen is the title here. This is what it, next week is all about. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. I want you to jump down to verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Again, any authority that could exist, Jesus has been vested with. He has it all. And what does he now say? Go, therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You see, Jesus' mountaintop of success, Jesus was already the Son of God. Before he existed as Jesus, God in the flesh incarnate, he was already the Son of God. Jesus had nothing to gain other than God's lost people. Jesus' mountaintop of success was not about his exaltation. It was about you. Boom. It was about you. And it wasn't just about the church. Jesus said, I haven't come for the righteous, but for the sinners. Jesus knew that what his obedience would do would gain every lost person who was willing back to God.
And so I need to begin to look at my life, wherever I identify, if I'm in the valley or the climb or the crux, before I get to that mountaintop, I need to begin to look at my life and recognize that my exaltation has really nothing to do with me and everything to do with what God wants to do in me and through me. And God's heart is for people, people. So when God exalts you to that high place, it's not so that we can become fat, dumb, and happy. It's so we can care for people. So we can see to it that people know Jesus like you and I know Jesus. I have one more case study I want to walk out with you this morning. And it's, we looked at Jesus' life, and he's, he's the better of the two. But there's another case study I want to look at. Can you walk with me for another case study here? I want to take a look at David. So turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. We cannot stand on the mountaintop of success until we have gone through the valley of preparation. David is just such a beautiful example to me of somebody who was willing to submit to God's purpose for his life. In fact, God said of him that he was a man after his own heart. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on if you are not familiar with this passage here. But uh, the time of the judges has ended, and now there's this man by the name of Samuel, and he is a seer. He is a prophet to the people. He stands in the place, of, uh, he stands in the place between the people and God, and he talks to the people about what God wants to do, and he brings what the people say over to God. And so the people have now cried out to Samuel, and cried out to God for a king. And God says, listen, you, you really don't want a king because here's what they're going to do in your life. But the people say, nonetheless, we want a king. And so God says, fine, I have chosen Saul and I have put my spirit upon him. But what happens is Saul becomes a little bit too arrogant. You know why? Because an inheritance gained speedily is not blessed in the end. And when you have not went from the valley to the climb to the crux, you will not appreciate the mountaintop of success. And nor will you know how to execute successfully on the mountaintop of success. And so Saul has misstepped here because he thought he was above the law. And this is an important point for all of us. God wants to know in your heart, if I bring you to that place, you better recognize you are not above the law. The Bible tells us of Moses, that before Moses, Moses was called by God to bring the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, and he is about to go. But the Bible says that when Moses was headed out, headed out to go deliver the children, that God set his face against him to kill him. Why? Because Moses thought he was above the law and did not circumcise his son. And it took his wife stepping in to do what he was called to do. Okay, now you have to read that story if you haven't because that is life-changing, very important for every one of us here. We've got to realize that once we get to that place, we can never see ourselves above the law. And so Saul has made a mistake. He has misstepped and he has seen himself above the law. And so God says, I've chosen a man who, who has my heart. And so he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. Verse 10, chapter 16, verse 10. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. Everyone say, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring for him, for we will not sit down till he comes. 
So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of all his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So again here, we see that David is anointed. And in fact, if you know your Bible history, he's anointed long before he ever becomes king. And so we've got to realize we're going to have visions. We're going to have dreams. We're going to see God's call and anointing on our lives. But that could indeed be well before, long before indeed, uh, we get to that place of success. And we're going to have to go through the valley. We're going to have to climb and we're going to have to come to that crux. And so what happens here is, is that, that, that David's mindset is beginning to shift here. Now David's brothers, all seven brothers, they're strong men. And so they're serving in Saul's army. And so David, uh, dad, Jesse says to David, you know, you're not doing anything but keeping sheep. So go and bring your brothers some food. And so read verse 20 with me. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with sheep with the keeper. Everyone say left the sheep. Everyone say leave the sheep. Listen to me. There are going to be some things that you had to do in the valley that you're going to have to leave in the valley as you begin your ascent. Did you hear what I just said to you? There are going to be some things that God has used in your life to train you that you're going to have to step away from as you move from the valley to the climb. And David's mindset is beginning to shift here. And I'm going to show you that in just a moment. But he was willing to leave the sheep with the keeper. David doesn't know exactly about, about what he's into encounter, but he gets to the, to the place and he sees that all of the armies of Israel are frightened. And David says, well, why are you guys frightened? And they're like, do you not see that giant dude over there? He's humongous. And David says, well, he doesn't have a covenant with God. Why do I care who he is? And David starts thinking now, well, wait a minute. All we got to do is destroy him. What's going to be done for the person that destroyed him. Oh, well, that sounds like a great deal. Okay, let me go talk to the king. So we pick, we pick up here in verse 32 and uh, of the same chapter, verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you aren't able to, not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Oh, used to. I used to be the shepherd in my father's house. You see, as you're beginning that climb, you've got to start changing your mindset about who you are. I used to be the shepherd in my father's house. Man, I, that just turns me loose. I used to be. All right, you'll get it later. Here we go. Verse 34. David said, I used to be uh, the, 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 I used to keep the sheep in my father's house. And when the lion or the bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. That always amazes me. God is with David at this time. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord will deliver me, who, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine." 
There is so much chalked up in there that we can't even dive into right now. But we have got to begin to realize this transition that's happening for David. And David was anointed at an earlier age, but he was not the actual king. And even after after David comes to this place and defeats the Philistine, he still is not king. He ends up having to go through this whole period under Saul. And then what happens is this, I want to take a look. He begins this climb. The Bible says in just a few passages after what we just read, that after David defeated the giant, that Saul did not let him go back to his father's house. Saul recognized that there was an anointing upon this man, and, but Saul ended up becoming angry with him and jealous of him. And, but that's all part of David's climb. And as David begins his climb, uh, he has this defining moment. David, in fact, has two defining moments. And rather than read them, I will just share them with you. You see, David learned in the valley that God would deliver him because he had a covenant with God. And and the Philistine, the giant, did not have a covenant with God, just like the bear and the lion. So David saw God work for him in the valley so he could trust God when he got to that place. But as David begins his ascent up to the mountain of success, he actually has to encounter his own pride because he has seen that God has called him, and he has seen that God has anointed him. But the scripture tells us in in a few more passages that there were two times that David was tempted to kill Saul and take his life. And that was part of David's defining moment. Will you actually go before God, step out in front of God, and make your success happen? Or will you entrust that to the Lord? And David had to wrestle that not once, but twice. There were twice that his friends were telling him, God has delivered Saul to you. You can go and you can destroy him now. And David gets so close that he cuts off a piece of his robe and he immediately laments. He immediately begins to repent because he's seeing what he's doing. And I'm so encouraged by that because what it shows me is that no mistake, if my heart is right, can keep me from God's purpose in my life. And so as you're beginning your ascent and as you're on the climb, even when you get to that defining moment, you're going to begin to echo what you practiced in the valley. You're going to begin to do what you practiced in the valley. But even if you slip and make a mistake, if your heart is right, God doesn't have a B plan for you. God has an A plan for your life. And he has a way of keeping people on track. The Bible tells us that he makes the crooked places straight. And so even when you go off, God has a way of getting you back on track. And David submits his heart to the Lord. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to do it. This man will come to his own end. And you know what? There may be some people on your pathway to success that you could put under you, that you could destroy. People that are keeping you from becoming, or so it seems, what God has made you to be. But if you are willing to submit to the process, God will exalt you. He will, beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is just no way about it. There can be people that are set against you, but if God be for you, who can be against you? We have to keep our hearts right as we move from the valley to the climb. And at that defining moment, we need to keep our heart right before the Lord. And if we can remain humble, He will exalt in due time. He will. He will. Wherever you locate yourself this morning, whether you're... In the valley, the climb, the crux, maybe you're there at the mountaintop and you're looking back over the course of your life, you know? I think about somebody like a Billy Graham who has done everything that God has called him. I think of Billy Graham and the words that come to my mind are the words from Psalm 91, with long life I will satisfy you 
and show you my salvation. You know, when we submit ourselves to God's process, he has a way of exalting us and taking care of us. And I do want to clarify this. You know, when you get to that place of success, it's not that God withholds from you. In fact, when you look at Jesus, all authority was vested and given to him. When you look at David, he was ultimately exalted to be king, but not for his own heart, but because he had the heart of God. And the heart of God is always for people. And so God wanted somebody on the throne who would take care of his people. And God will bring you to a place of exaltation. And guess what? You'll get all the bennies with it. You're going to have a lot of fun in that place as long as you keep your heart right and submit it unto the Lord. And that's it. And that's what we have studied today. Let's pray right now. Father, I thank you for your word, which has gone forth. I thank you for uh, the time that we've had today. And I just thank you for each and every individual here. I pray for the young people, Father, who are in the house, and maybe they're being filled with visions and dreams and, and beginning to see what you've created them for, Father. I thank you for those who are in the prime of their life right now, experiencing all your goodness. And I pray for those who are well advanced, Father, and they've seen your good work in their lives. And they're reflecting. Well, Father, I pray for each and every one of us today that we would be totally filled with your spirit, that we would experience your joy in this life. You are not a taskmaster. You are not just looking for us to do things for you. But when we connect with you, we get to do things with you. And so I thank you, Father, that you would just begin to replenish and restore the joy of your salvation, Father, to your people in this house today. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.